sets free will be free indeed. Man, this pulpit is one of the heaviest pulpits I've ever moved in my life. This is like 3,000 pounds heavy. Unbelievable. I know what you're thinking. Mel, you've got to hit the gym more. And you're absolutely right. I, I need to. I, it's serious. All right, let's have a word of prayer as we get into God's word this morning. Lord, thank you so much for the opportunity to sing and praises to you. You're an awesome God. Thank you that you've changed our lives. Thank you that you set us free. You are a chain-breaking God. And we give you all the glory and all the praise because you deserve it. Lord Jesus, we love you. Thank you that you're here right now. You're here with us. And we worship you because you deserve it. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're in a series entitled Question by Jesus. Last week we talked about which proved to be a neighbor, talking about the Good Samaritan and how we're to love people that come across our paths that have needs, showing the love of Christ. Today, the question is this. Do you want to go away as well? A sobering question that Jesus had to ask his disciples because people were leaving his ministry. I don't know if you've ever led anything and people have quit on you, they've left you. How, how discouraging that can be. Well, that's exactly what Jesus was experiencing as he taught them God's truth. People were walking away in great numbers, leaving him. And he sensed the disciples were struggling as well and asked them, do you want to go away as well? Turn your Bibles. We're going to open them right up, right? John chapter 6. I want to start at verse 60, actually. That'll set the context for the passage we're looking at today. Verse 60 of John chapter 6 says this, when many of his disciples heard it, heard this difficult teaching that Jesus gave, they said, this is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? But Jesus, knowing in himself that the disciples were grumbling about this, said to them, do you take offense at this? Then what if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? What Jesus was talking about was his authority. Hey, disciples, if you really understood who I am, if you saw me ascend to heaven where I was before I came, probably struggle with it a little less. Why? Because as God, no one knows God more than God himself. No one knows the earth more and what life's about than God himself. He created it. It's kind of saying, if you knew where I was before I came, you'd maybe be struggling a little less. Verse 63, it is the spirit who gives life. The flesh is of no avail. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. But there are some of you who do not believe. See, Jesus could look right into their heart. He knew exactly where they were spiritually. For Jesus knew from the beginning who those were who did not believe and who it was who would betray him. And he said, this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted him by the Father. Jesus addresses a really serious topic, and that is this, that salvation is initiated by God. No one could come to Jesus unless God granted it. The authority for our salvation. You know, the theological word for studying salvation is called soteriology. Uh, it comes from the Greek word soteros, which means salvation. The study of how we're saved. It's a deep topic. What's God's role? What's mine? What's my responsibility? There's this amazing mystery that happens in salvation. How the Bible, and I read it this morning at the first service at our scripture reading time, Ephesians 1 talked about us being chosen before the what? Foundation of the world. God chose us. Now that's meant to be a source of encouragement to you today, that you're chosen, not discouragement. But some people get troubled by that. 
But there's this amazing balance between God's sovereignty choosing us and human responsibility. I think of the verse in Romans 1 where it says this, that God's attributes have been clearly seen through what has been made so that they are without what? Excuse, human responsibility. In the New Testament, it says that God desires that all should be saved. Well, why aren't they? Human responsibility. Jesus, when he looked over Jerusalem before he was crucified, said these words. He said, I would have gathered you like a hen gathers its chicks, but you, anybody know how it finishes? Would not. Human responsibility. And somehow in Scripture and in God's outworking of his salvation, he dovetails his awesome sovereignty and human responsibility together. We don't fully understand it, but that doesn't mean it's not true. Kind of like the Trinity. Three persons in the one Godhead, not three gods. We don't fully understand it, but it's true. Why? Because our God is so much greater than anything we can imagine or think. His ways are higher than our ways, and we would want it no other way. We don't want to serve a God that we can understand. We don't want to serve a God that we can box in. We want to under, uh, worship a God. Or we want to worship a God that's so much greater than what we could fully understand. And that's what our God is like. He's awesome, far beyond our ability to fully comprehend. Now, the Word of God gives us amazing insights into who God is but we will never fully understand the mystery of how God saves us until we get to heaven. It is an amazing plan that God has for us. Let me keep reading. It says this. Chapter 6, we're going back to verse 66 now. After this, many of the disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. Hey, I'm not walking with this guy anymore. I'm not following Jesus. So Jesus said to the 12, the ones that he had selected, do you want to go away as well? That must have been a sobering moment in the ministry of Jesus. Do you 12 want to leave me as well? Do you want to walk away? You've been with me now for this period of time. Do you want to leave me as well? Simon Peter answered him. I love his answer. Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of what? Eternal life. Hey, Lord, well, where else do we go? There's no one else. I don't think he's saying if there was, we'd go there. I don't think he's saying that. He's just saying there's no one else to turn to. You're the one that has the words of eternal life. And we have believed, I love this, we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. He kind of says the same thing twice, but it's different. We believe in you intellectually and, and living it out, we've come to know that you are the Messiah. A Holy One of God is a messianic title. We've come to know that you are the Messiah and we believe it. Jesus answered them, did I not choose you, the 12? And yet one of you is a devil. He spoke of Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, for he, one of the 12, was going to betray him. Here's the bottom line of our talk today. Our faith in Jesus Christ must become a deep conviction that becomes this unshakable foundation of our lives overcoming any moments of struggle or confusion that we may encounter. This passage is talking about having a conviction so deep and so strong that you know beyond a shadow of a doubt that no matter what happens in your life, you will not leave God. You'll not turn your back on Him. 
that you know that Jesus Christ is the one who died and rose again. And like Peter says, where else do we go? There's no one else that has the words of eternal life. And Jesus proved it by dying on the cross and three days later rising again. No one else like him. Where else do you go? So here's the first thing I want to challenge you with. Some people just can't handle the truth, right? When Jesus is teaching, when Jesus taught these people that were listening to him, was he teaching them truth? Absolutely he was. Jesus is the source of all truth. In fact, there's a saying out there that says this, all truth is God's truth, right? If something is true on this earth, God is the author of it. Like think of gravity. Gravity, for example, is something we all experience every day. It keeps us on the ground. If I were to drop my Bible, gravity will cause it to drop. I can repeat that experiment many times. Drop my Bible and gravity will pull it down. Who's the author of gravity? God. He's the author of all absolute truth. People have said to me, well, what about people that make like claims to truth and they claim to have a, another path to God? Is that true? No, I didn't say all claims to truth are God's truth. But everything that is absolutely true is, is its author is God. It comes from him. And here are some of the things that Jesus was teaching just in John chapter 6 that caused so many people to leave. Uh, these truths are these, that Jesus is the way of salvation. Look in your Bibles in John chapter 6. In fact, turn to John chapter 6 verse 28. Look at your Bibles. It says this. Then they said to Jesus, what must we do be doing the works of God? I've had people ask me that, in essence. They say, well, Mel, it sounds too easy. That you're saved by faith alone, that's too easy. There's got to be something we got to do. Some work that we got to do to earn our way. We want to get to heaven the old-fashioned way. We want to earn it. What do we have to do? I'll turn to this verse. I'll say this is what Jesus said. If you want to have a work, if there's one work that you have to do to get to heaven, this is it. Jesus answered it, right? He said this in verse 30, uh, 29. This is the work of God, that you believe in him whom God has sent. Who was he talking about? He was talking about himself. Jesus is claiming to be the way of salvation, that by faith in Jesus, you receive this amazing gift of eternal life. It's a simple message. Difficult in a way, but a simple message. Hard to live out, right? But the reception of Jesus as the way of salvation is vital to your faith. Jesus says, I'm the way. You've got to believe in me to get to heaven. It's so simple. People trip up on it. And when the disciples were hearing this, they're like, wait a minute, you are the way to get to heaven? What about all the stuff in the Old Testament? Remember what Jesus said. He didn't come to abolish the Old Testament, the law and the prophets. He came to what? Fulfill it. The freedom we have in Christ. All those sacrifices in the Old Testament. All the cleansings that need to be done by the priest in order to enter the presence of God. All done away with. By the amazing masterpiece of Jesus. His sacrifice on the cross for you and for me. The way of salvation is through Christ. It's through him. Amazing faith in Christ. Then he taught this, that he was God's son, right? The son of God. Look what it says. If we look down at verse 32 and 33. 
Jesus then said to them, in fact, let me start at verse 31. Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus answered them, truly, I truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my father gives you the true bread from heaven. He was saying he was the son of God the father. Then he says this, for the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. He's saying, you think the manna was good in the Old Testament? The real bread of heaven is the person that came from heaven. That's me. That's why he said in the next verse, there's 35, Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Wow, those are powerful teachings. Jesus is the bread of life. If somebody raised their hand in this service and said, hey, Pastor Mel, I just want to share something. Want to share something? He stood up and said, I and the bread of life. We'd be all taking out our smartphones, dialing 911. Could we get an officer over here right away? There's somebody insane in our church. But Jesus taught that he was the bread of life that came down from the Father in heaven. Difficult teaching for the Jews to accept. That he was greater than Moses and the manna of the Old Testament. And the one who brings salvation by faith alone, Jesus. Wow. Those are difficult teachings for the Jewish person to hear. And many were walking away. Jesus could have written a book, How to Diminish Your Church, How to Ungrow Your Church. People are walking away. But what was he saying? Was it truth? Absolutely it was. But they couldn't handle the truth. It wasn't the message they wanted to hear. And there comes a point as a believer in Jesus Christ, you reach a maturity level when you say, you know what, I submit to the teachings of Jesus. He proved what he said had authority by dying and rising again from the dead. Why do some people struggle with the truth? There are various reasons for it. Some just don't understand it. They just don't get it. Now, my prayer would be that if you are at that point, if you're like, man, there's so many things about the Bible I don't understand, and I don't understand this, and I don't understand that. The challenge would be if you don't understand something to say, I'm going to stick around Jesus even more. Because this teacher speaks like no one else has ever taught. He speaks, like it says in the New Testament, he speaks with authority, like he knows what he's talking about. I'm going to stick around Jesus all the more. I'm going to find out all the more what it means to live for God, how I should live on this planet, what it means to be right with God. How can I be right with God? You know, I don't know if you're like me, when we talk about lifting up holy hands to God during that song we sang this morning. I had one person say to me, Mel, I feel guilty doing that because my hands aren't holy. I, I'm a sinner. I, I still struggle with stuff. And it says, lift up holy hands to God. Well, here's the reality. When you come to faith in Christ, are you made holy? Yes, you are. Even though you still sin, you still struggle, it's not our holiness that allows us to lift our hands to Christ. The Bible says in a miraculous way, when you put your faith in Christ, you are given the holiness of Jesus. God looks at you and sees the holiness of his son. It's that amazing transformation that the New Testament talks about that you experience when you come to faith in Christ. Some people just don't get it. They don't understand it. And sadly, there are people that walk away. I want to encourage you, instead of walking away, get deeper in the word. Understand the truth of God even more. Here's a second reason why people struggle with the truth. They just are opposed to it. They're against it. It doesn't matter how good it sounds. 
It doesn't matter how wonderful it is that God died on the cross for my sins. They're opposed to it and they refuse to believe it. I experience that quite a bit when I get into discussions with others about creation versus evolution. Because I believe that in our culture is so undermining the word of God in the lives of our young people that we as adults and we as parents and as mature believers should have answers for our kids when they come home from high school and they say things that in high school and in junior high that are against the word of God. Our kids need to know what is the real truth that points to the word of God being true. But I've had people say to me, it doesn't matter how much evidence there is for God, because I'll give scientific evidence for a designer behind the creation around us that could not be accomplished through undirected, atheistic, evolutionary forces. Couldn't happen. It doesn't matter how much evidence I give people, they refuse to allow God to be an answer. God cannot be an answer. I refuse to believe in him. They're opposed to the truth. Here's another reason. Some people are blind to it. They refuse to even check it out. Like Jesus said, there are none so blind as those who will not see. They refuse to find out what the answers are. Here's another reason why some people struggle with the truth. Some people want the effective. They want the emotional side of the faith, but not the cognitive. They're not into finding out what God's truth is and growing deeper in their faith. They want the feelings of coming every Sunday morning and, yeah, worshiping the Lord and singing out and all these people in this experience of worshiping God, which is wonderful. But no, I don't want to hear what the Bible has to say about life and what it means to follow God. I don't want to get deeper in the Word of God. I just want the feelings of being a Christian but not understand my faith more. See, it's those people that want the rights of being a Christian. I want to go to heaven, but are not living out the responsibilities of what it means to be a follower of Christ. They, they, they want to have the feelings, but not the expectations. And believe me, the expectations are there. As simple as it is to come to faith in Christ, there is an expectation from the Word of God that now the Holy Spirit lives in you. He'll begin to change you because you've been connected now with Jesus. That's a natural outworking of your faith. And the message of God's grace is so powerful. You know, one of my favorite stories in the New Testament is the story of the thief hanging on the cross. I love that story. I'm so glad the Holy Spirit made sure that story was in the Bible. There are times when I show up at the deathbed of someone who does not know Christ. People come to me and say, my uncle is dying. Would you mind visiting him? Well, my, my dad, my mom is passing away. Would you be able to go visit them and talk with them? And often when I have those experiences, I will share the story of the thief on the cross. Think about it. Here's a man who's hanging on the cross next to Jesus and says this simple statement of faith, which I love this. He says, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Now, it's not a perfect representation of the gospel. Like, like John 3, 16, amazing verse that represents the gospel so well. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whosoever believes in him, doesn't say anything about works there, right? Believes in him, should not perish, but have everlasting life. This man is about to die and he simply says, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And the response by Jesus is powerful. 
It's an amazing enlightenment to what God's grace and mercy are all about. Jesus says, today, you'll be with me in paradise. I say to people who are at the end of their lives, who haven't known God their entire lives, it's not too late. You can put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Believe that he died on the cross for you and you'll be adopted into his kingdom. You'll have eternal life. It's not too late. We should all rejoice at that amazing demonstration of God's grace because it's so encouraging to me. But when that happens, the word of God says, okay, if you're going to be a follower of Jesus, this is how you live. This is how you can be a light to others who desperately need to know Jesus. See, not everyone can handle the truth, and sometimes the truth is tough. I get that. Sometimes the truth makes demands upon our lives, and there are times when the truth is difficult and goes against how we would do it. I've had people say to me, hey, Mel, if I were God, I would do it totally differently. I would run this world in a different way. And my response is, and I've shared this before, but I want to say it again because you can give this response as well. I, I say this to them. If you had God, God's power, yeah, you would do it differently. No question about it. If you had God's power, you would do it differently. But if you had God's power and his what? His wisdom. Because right now you're just a finite human and you're looking at it from a very finite perspective and you was, you're saying, I would do it totally differently differently. But I want to tell you this. If you had God's power and God's wisdom, you would do it the exact same way. God sees the beginning and the end like it's the same moment. He sees everything and knows the intent of every human heart because that's how awesome he is. Far beyond our ability to comprehend. Ways higher than our ways. Thoughts higher than our thoughts. See, the reality is the truth is always true. It's always right, and it's always perfect. That's why for us as followers of Jesus Christ, we need to jump in and understand God's truth and say this, God, I am so convinced, so convicted of you being the Savior of the world that you died and rose again, that even before the tragedy in my life happens, my conviction says I'll never leave you. I'm not going to walk away. And it must have been a sobering question for Jesus, right? Verse 12, are you going to walk away too? Are you going to leave? Is this too hard for you? See, when I have those moments when I wonder, God, why is this happening in my life? God, why is this event happening in the world? I'm driven back to the cross. And I realize this, that our God loved us all the way to the cross. And even though I don't understand certain things that are going on, I know this, that Jesus Christ died on the cross for me to set me free from my rebellion against him, to give me this amazing free gift of eternal life. There's a psalm that I love in the Old Testament. It's probably one of my favorite psalms. If you have your Bible, turn to Psalm 73. I turn our Bibles to Psalm 73. Psalm is right in the middle of the Bible, right? Job, Psalms, Proverbs, Psalm 73. This psalmist, his name is Asaph. He's struggling with life. He's looking around saying, all of these people around me are wealthy and doing well, but they hate God. They're cursing God and doing great. They have a wonderful life. 
And he even asked this question, and maybe you've asked it deep in your heart, but you never even verbalized it. Maybe you've asked the same question Asaph, this psalm has asked. He says this, have I been wasting my time following God? Have I been wasting my time? Then he gets to verse 16. Look at verse 16 of Psalm 73. But when I thought how to understand this, it seemed such a wearisome task. He felt like quitting. I don't know if I can handle this. I'm getting tired of this struggle. Until I went to the what? The sanctuary of God. My friends, this is what makes Asaph a hero. Instead of saying, God, I don't understand how you're working in this world. These, these people who hate you are doing well. I'm walking away. I'm wasting my time. I'm out of here. Instead of that, he goes to the sanctuary and draws near to God. So many times in my life when I've had struggles, I remember this psalm. Go to the sanctuary. Worship God. Draw near to him. Because that is the strategy that God has for us. When you're in the midst of a struggle, don't turn your back on God and walk away like many of the disciples who are following Jesus did. Draw near. Draw nearer. Go to the sanctuary and worship God. Look what happens. Then I discern their end. Truly you set them on slippery places. You make them fall to ruin. How they are destroyed in a moment, swept away utterly by terrors, like a dream when one awakes. Oh Lord, when you rouse yourself... You despise them as phantoms. When my soul was embittered, when I was pricked in heart, I was brutish and ignorant. I was like a beast toward you. And here's, here's his conclusion. I love Asaph's conclusion. Nevertheless, I am continually with you. You hold my right hand. I have a 10-year-old daughter. And I know when I'm walking with her somewhere, she kind of doesn't like hold, me holding her hand. She wants to be independent. She wants to just go around and just do her own thing. But when I get to a street where there's busy cars coming, I will take her hand. And she'll say, Dad, I don't, kind of pulls away. No, I want your hand. I'm going to hold your hand. Because the, these things in front of you, they could kill you. You make one bad step, one bad decision, and your life is over. So I'm holding your hand. And you know, when she finally realizes what she is facing with this busy street in front of her, she kind of submits. And now she gets to the point where she's looking for my hand when we're coming to places like that. That's exactly the picture that Asaph gives of God. You hold my right hand. You guide me with your counsel. And afterward, you'll receive me to glory. He then says the same thing that Peter says, right? He says this, Whom have I in heaven but you, God? There's no one else up there. No one else I can talk to. Hey, God, is there anyone else I can talk to up there? No one. There's no one else in heaven but God. He says this, and there is nothing on earth I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail. Mine failed about nine years ago. And I'm still alive today by a miracle of God. But God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. For behold, those who are far from you shall perish. You put an end to everyone who's unfaithful to you. But he says this in verse 28, but for me, it is good to be near God. I have made the Lord God my refuge that I may tell of all your works. Asaph had a total change. He went to the sanctuary and said, man, it's good for me to be near God. I'm gonna have struggles. There will be moments I don't understand, but I am all in. God, you hold my hand. I'm not walking away. In fact, I'm going to start telling people about you. That's the change that is made.
That's why every Sunday when we come together at Review Church, let's come together with hearts that are expecting to meet God, that hearts that are joining with other folks around us who love Jesus. And we are this church that says, this is the core conviction of my life. And no matter what life throws at me, I'm not walking away. The core conviction of my life is Jesus is the Holy One of God. He alone has the words of eternal life and I am all in no matter what happens, no matter what occurs in my life. I like what one Christian writer wrote. He wrote this, the first duty of every soul is to find not its freedom but its master. Hey God, I'm going to do life your way. And there's amazing freedom that comes when you finally say, God, you are in control of my life. Because the reality is, if you're not serving Jesus, you're serving somebody, amen? Like the Bob Dylan song that Thaddeus talked about. You're serving somebody. But your master today is Jesus, and you rejoice in this amazing master who says, if I set you free, you will be free indeed. And that's the master you want to follow today. Here's the second thing I want to remind you of. It's this. No one can hide their heart and mind from God. You might be struggling, but as you can see from the text in John chapter 6, Jesus knew exactly what the disciples are thinking. He knew who believed and who didn't. And yet he still loved them. That's the freedom we have in Christ, that you can come into his presence and be honest. God, I'm struggling. Uh, this, this thing has hidden my life. This boulder has landed on me, and I'm not sure what to do. And my faith is weak. God, help me. He knows exactly where you're at. He's not surprised by what's going on in your heart. And he wants to come into that situation you're facing and he wants to take you by your hand and walk you through that situation and bring you out the other end, a stronger follower. I love what First Chronicles 28.9 says. This is David talking to his son Solomon. Great advice for his son. He says, and you Solomon, my son, know the God of your father and serve him with a whole heart and with a willing mind. For the Lord searches all hearts and understands every plan and thought. Solomon, he already knows what's going on in your life. And he loves you. So serve him with a whole heart and a willing mind. Then he says this, if you seek him, he will be found by you. But if you forsake him, he will cast you off forever. Solomon, seek the Lord with a whole heart and a willing mind. He knows what your heart's heart is like. So looking deeper into the crowds, let me say this. Jesus knew why the multitudes were following him. They wanted to see another miracle. It wasn't for the right reason. They were following him for the wrong reason. So Jesus sees the depth of their commitment and says these hard truths, and many walk away. But our desire ought to be, I'm all in, Jesus, even when things are difficult. Jesus desires for us to be transparent with him and deepen our relationship with God. Let me say this, because the question always comes up in this passage. Mel, can we, as true believers, really walk away from him? Can we, for true followers of Jesus, actually become unsaved? I believe the Bible teaches clearly that no one who has a genuine faith can ever walk away. If one of my children said to me, Mel, I'm done. Dad, I'm done. Uh, I'm not following Jesus anymore. I've rejected him. 
My conclusion would be right out of the Word of God. 1 John 2.19 says, They left us and proved that they were never really of us. So in leaving, they proved they never were really saved. I would conclude that my child had never come to faith in Christ. Because the Bible says that he who begins a good work in you will complete it. 1 John makes it clear, if they left us, they never were really of us. There are people who can sing the songs, come to church, but never have put their true faith in Jesus Christ. In Deuteronomy, it says this, as God chose the nation of, Deuteronomy, uh, of Israel to be his people, he said this, for you are a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be the people for his treasured possession out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. It was not because you were more in number than any other people that the Lord set his love on you and chose you. The Israelites were probably saying, hey, we know why God chose us. We're the best. We're, we're the greatest nation on earth. That's why God chose us. God's saying, no, that's not the reason. For you are the fewest of all peoples, but it's because the Lord loves you and is keeping the oath that he swore to your fathers that the Lord has brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of slavery, from the house the king of Pharaoh in Egypt. Know therefore that the Lord your God is God, the faithful God, who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments. See, when God chose us before the foundation of the world, it wasn't because we were better than anyone else. God chose us in his sovereignty, and yet there's human responsibility like we talked about at the very beginning. And God is working in this world, bringing both of those truths which seem contradictory human responsibility and God's sovereignty but he's working it out in his plan but once you truly come to faith in Christ you can never leave God will complete the work that he has done in your life there's been a debate raging in the church between Calvinism and Arminianism as you know John Calvin lived about the mid 1500s Jacobus Arminius came after him a debate about what is salvation all about these are the main I don't have time to go through this because our time is getting close. These are the main teachings of John Calvin. Total depravity, that every area of our life is impacted by sin. Unconditional election. God didn't look at us and say, oh, Mel's a nice person. I'll select him for my kingdom. Then I could say, wow, I deserve to go to heaven because God saw the goodness in me. That's not what the Bible teaches. God's election was unconditional. Limited atonement was what John Calvin taught. I like the words particular redemption, that the death of Jesus could have paid the price for all the sins of the world, but it only becomes effective for those who believe in him. And then irresistible grace that God is drawing us to himself. It's like a man who's starving and he enters a room with a beautiful buffet in front of him. He hasn't eaten for days. What are the chances that that person will walk up to the buffet table and partake? A hundred percent. That's exactly how God draws us to himself. We have this God-shaped vacuum in our lives. And when God draws us to himself, it's irresistible. God is pulling us to him. And the bottom line of Calvin's teaching was this, perseverance of the saints. That when you truly come to faith in Christ, he will complete the work that he has begun in your life. Arminius took the other side of that. I'm not going to spend time going through that. But I want you to know today, your salvation is not conditional. It's not a conditional salvation. Every time you sin, did I lose my salvation or not? Am I part of God's family anymore or not? 
put your faith and trust in him. He will complete the work that he has done in your life. So important truths to consider as we close. We must realize God is God and we are not. Let God be God. Let him work out his plan. And in the midst of the struggle, say, God, I still trust you. And even though, I'm going to skip that, even though there are things we don't understand, God, I still trust you. The third thing is this. As we close today, we must remember that it's always a bad decision to get into a boxing match with God. I tell that to people all the time. People are dissatisfied with how God is working out their life. They're dissatisfied with his plan. They don't like how this happened in their life. And for some reason, they walk away or turn their back on God. I tell them it's always a bad decision to get into a fight with God. Let God be God. And say to him, no matter what, God, I will follow you. Amen, church? Amen. Let's bow our hearts in prayer. And as your heart is bowed today, if you're struggling with something right now in your life, I want to encourage you to stand at the foot of the cross and see Jesus hanging there for you as a demonstration of his love for you, his demonstration of his design to set you free from the pain of this world and to bring about this amazing relationship that you can have with your creator God and the promise of eternal life. There is no one else but Jesus. He is the only one that has words of eternal life today. And Lord, as a church, we love you. Lord, I pray for everyone that's here today. I don't know what people are going through in their lives, but I do know this. You hold us by your right hand. You walk with us through these struggles, and you will bring us through them. And we have all of eternity to look forward to. Help us not to get caught up in the trivial things of this world. But to say this in our hearts, we're all in, God. We're all in. No turning back. No turning back. Jesus, we love you. We pray this in your name. Amen. Let's all stand together and sing this song. Christ elders and home group leaders up front would love to pray with you about anything going on in your life. Please greet one another and live this week. All for him. All for him. God bless you.